Father, we love you. We praise you. We glorify your name. Thank you for this time of year when we really focus on Christ. We focus on him year-round, Lord, but set aside a special time, Lord, this time of year to look at the incarnation of Christ who came down from heaven, Lord, on a rescue mission to save us. Undeserving, wretched sinners, Lord, yet you've seated us in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you that we can meet together freely, openly, proclaim your word, proclaim your truth, and that we can worship you. They can't do this in many countries around the world, Lord, without persecution, but we can do it here freely and openly. And so as long as we can do that, we continue to give you praise and thanks. So encourage our hearts today, Lord. Would you strengthen our faith in you? Would you help us to be more like you, to be lights in this dark world? So bless this message and bless our time together. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Yesterday, Leah asked me when I was putting together some notes, what are you, let me guess, you're preaching on the incarnation tomorrow, aren't you? I said, you're very smart. Who would have thought? Perhaps some of you have seen the 1965 animated television show or special a Charlie Brown Christmas. I think they still play it on TV these days. There's a famous scene in that show that I want to share with you. There's a point where Charlie Brown and the rest of the peanut gang or whatever they're called, they're on stage and Charlie Brown throws up his arms and he says in frustration, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? If you remember, there's the character Linus. He's holding his little blankie. He's got a little soft voice, and he says, Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And he grabs his blankie, and he walks to the center of the stage, and he says, Lights, please. And that light shines right on him. And it's, it's kind of embarrassing to say. You know, I just watched it on YouTube just to watch it again. And I was like tearing up as Linus takes center stage and starts, you know, reciting what I'm going to share with you right now. And I, I read the comments on YouTube and several people were like, I don't know what it is about this scene, but I tear up every time I see it. And even one guy said, I'm not even religious, but this scene just makes my heart melt. It's so great. This is what Linus said. He said, and in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So Linus quotes Luke 2, 8 through 14. He walks over to Charlie Brown. 
who seems to be in a bit of a daze, and he says, that Charlie Brown is what Christmas is all about. He's right, isn't he? It's not all about the gifts. It's all about the indescribable gift. It's about the one who said in John 4.10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. It's not about a Christmas tree. It's about the one who was crucified on the tree, on the cross. It's the one who said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. It's not all about the food. It's about the bread of life, the one who came down from heaven, the one who said, if you come to me, you will never hunger. It's not about the Christmas lights. It's about the one who said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but have the light of life. It's all about Jesus. We must remember that no matter what we go through, no matter how high our celebrations are this time of year and all the Christmas presents we open up and all the great food we eat and all the college football and NFL and whatever other sports we watch, we must remember it's all about Christ. It all should point and does point ultimately to him. If you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, there's many, many prophecies we could look at in the Old Testament regarding Jesus, the Messiah. I want to share two verses with you. Perhaps two of my favorite verses about Christ, the Messiah, to come. It's always hard to say, oh, this is my favorite verse, right? But these are some glorious verses. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, or Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Someone should write a song about that. (laughs) Sar Shalom, prince of peace of peace. El Gabor, mighty God. Not Elohim, but El. And one commentator rightly noted that Elohim is used of magistrates and governors, sometimes angels. But El, El Gabor, El is only used of deity. In Isaiah, he uses El only of deity. And in all of the Old Testament, that Hebrew word El is only used of God. And Jesus is called the mighty God, El Gabor. He's the prince of peace. You read through the Old Testament, you see kings and princes, and they're ruthless, and they're tyrants, and they're worshiping other gods, and they're doing all sorts of evil things. 
Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And this text says he's a righteous and just prince. Zechariah 9.10 says he will speak peace to the nations. His dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When Jesus came into the world and he was born in that manger, what did the angels and the heavenly hosts proclaim? Peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. It's a peace that's offered to all, offered to everyone, but extended and received only to those who believe in him. See, that's the truth. We live in a day and age where truth is whatever you want it to be, whatever you feel like that day, whatever is going on internally, you're told within this culture, look within how you feel. The truth is the peace is offered to everyone, but it's only to those who accept it that, is, that it is realized in their lives. Romans 5.1 tells us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way to have true peace in this life is through Jesus Christ. That is the truth. Jesus, before going to the cross, knowing all that his disciples would go through, said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. There's a kind of peace that the world offers. Jesus said, that's not the peace that I offer. It's a rich, lasting, deep peace. It's a peace that includes the forgiveness of sins before God. A world that is burdened by guilt and shame and the heaviness of sin, Jesus removes that through what he did for us on the cross, giving true peace for us. John 16, 33 says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. I love that phrase, take courage. Take it. It's yours. Take courage because I have overcome the world. Christians, Jesus is saying, look, if I've overcome the world, what can't you overcome in me? Keywords in me. Remember, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's all through him. The word peace, irene in the Greek, means wholeness, joined together, assurance of salvation, tranquility before God. It's a soul that is at rest with the storms, the tribulations, the hardships, everything going on in life. True peace is that soul which is at rest because it knows that if God is for us, who can be against us? In Luke 19, Jesus rides into Jerusalem seated on a donkey. It's an olive branch offer to Jerusalem. He's riding into town proclaiming peace. And the multitude says in Luke chapter 19, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Four verses later in Luke 19, 42, 
Jesus is weeping over Jerusalem, and he says these words. If you have known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. He said, salvation is offered to all of you, yet you have rejected me. You've rejected the light. Now judgment is coming, and he was weeping over what would happen to Jerusalem. He's a righteous king. A righteous and just king cannot tolerate sin, cannot tolerate evil. John 3, 17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. That's why Jesus came, to save the world. He didn't come the first time to judge the world. He came in peace. But if you read Revelation 19, when he comes again, he's coming in judgment. You see, this time of year, not only this time of year, but year-round, people like the baby Jesus. They like the surfer Jesus. They like the Jesus holding the lambs on his back. I like that Jesus too. Not the surfer Jesus. I don't, or whatever. But I like the, the humble, the meek, the kind Jesus, the Jesus that holds the children in his lap and says, let the children come to me for such is the kingdom of heaven, and he blesses them. But we need to worship and adore and bow before the Revelation 19 Jesus as well. The Jesus who is coming back with eyes with the flame of fire, sword coming from his mouth, waging war against the nations. We live in a culture that just wants the one Jesus. Keep him in that nativity scene. He's just the gentle and kind Jesus, not the Jesus that flips over the tables, not the Jesus that looks the Pharisees in the eye and says, you're a bag of snakes, you're whitewashed tombs, you're making these other Jews twice the sons of hell because you're putting yokes on their back that they can't carry. We need to have all of it, all of the truth. The more we're in this culture and part of this culture, they're trying to squeeze us into their mold into its mold of all paths lead to heaven Jesus is just all loving Jesus is all kind Jesus is just about peace world peace and we're constantly coming back to the truth we're we're salmon swimming upstream we're going against the culture and there's going to be that rub at times there's going to be that friction at times there's there's going to be at times you're the one at work standing up and saying well that's not true this is what the word says And you're going to feel awkward at times, and we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We need to get comfortable in standing on the Word of God, wherever that takes us. The culture can go over here and over there, and people are doing this, and wherever the wind blows, and we're saying, no, I'm I'm sitting my feet on the rock of truth, Jesus Christ. I will not sway to the left or to the right. I'm going to speak the truth in love all through grace, all seasoned with salt, with kindness, with gentleness, but I'm not backing down from the truth. And I just got a new job, and actually one of our pamphlets, right after worship, I went to turn the lights on, and I go, oh, one of our pamphlets for the new job I got is right there in the back. So if you want to, I'll tell you after. I'm not going to, you know, with this job, there's HIPAA violations. So it's like, you can't say this, you can't say that. 
the government's hiding behind a rock is ready to come out and arrest you and take you to jail if you say the wrong thing. So I'm very careful. I don't want to tell anyone about my job or anything. I'm like, is that a HIPAA violation? But anyhow, I think I can say this. One of the things I was told at my job, hope nobody's listening, he said, don't preach to the patients. Whatever you do, don't preach to them. That's, that's the cardinal sin. And I said, I am a preacher. That's what I do. So I told him, this is going to be hard for me. Yes, I'm giving a listening ear. Yes, I'm praying with people that are on hospice as they're ready to die. But I have the good news. Isn't that evil if I don't share the truth? Isn't that evil if I don't share what Christ has done for them? So pray for me. I need wisdom on how to navigate these waters of being gracious and kind and gentle and giving a listening ear, but also wanting to share the truth. Lord, help us. So in John 540, listen to what Jesus says to the religious leaders that he offered peace to. He says, you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. You are unwilling to come to me. You may have life. It's extended to you. True peace is extended to you. No, you have chosen sin. You've chosen the darkness. I'm the light of the world. You've rejected me because you love the darkness. It's on you. Here we are 2,000 years later after Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came into this world and we, the church, are his hands and feet. We're like Linus, so to speak, to Charlie Brown. We're giving a tender-hearted plea to the world. Here's true peace. The world is constantly saying peace, peace. Peace in the Middle East. Peace there, who's going to be the next president? Who's going to be the next ruler who, who can bring peace in the Middle East or peace over here? And while they're saying those things, 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says they're going to be saying in the end times, peace, peace, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them because they have rejected the prince of peace. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Lord of all. Those angels that appeared, first it was one angel and then a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared to those shepherds. They said, we bring you good news of great joy. It's a free gift. The time is now. Embrace the light. That's our message to the world. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he says this message is of first importance. He lays out the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says, and he says throughout his letters, there's many important things that we share with people and that we want to know about the word, but there's only one first importance. And he says this is of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again from the grave according to the scriptures. That's of first importance. That's the gospel message. That's the message that we need to be sharing with people. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for or of Christ. As though God were entreating through us, Paul says, We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
Part of your job as a Christian is to be a beggar. Did you know that? You're just a beggar. I'm a beggar. We're beggars who have found the bread. We found the bread of life and we're saying, look, world, we're pleading with you. We're imploring you. We're begging you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to Jesus Christ and live. That's what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He gives the message to us. We relay it to the world. We don't alter it. We don't change it. Even though there's the temptation to do that, we get the message here and we want to relay it accurately to the world. As Jesus wept over Jerusalem, we're to weep over those who don't turn to Christ. If there's not a point in your walk where you're feeling downtrodden or your heart is aching because someone you know, a friend or family member or someone in this world doesn't know Christ, that should disturb you and I. Having the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ means that we weep over those who don't know him and that motivates us to reach them with the gospel. As I mentioned, 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says that in the last days people will be saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. How do you think the world will react when you tell them judgment is coming. Go to work on Tuesday or whenever you, or when you meet with friends, say, I just want you to know judgment is coming. The wrath of God is coming. Baby Jesus grew up and he's now at the right hand of the Father and he's returning. I hate to break it to you, there's more to the Christmas story, but he's returning with eyes with the flame of fire and he's gonna give vengeance to those who don't know him. So turn to him and live. He, you don't hear that message very often, but isn't that the truth it's what i tried to preach at a rescue mission till they showed me the door but we want to preach the truth and love i keep hammering that home lord help us to do it remember jeremiah in the old testament classic example of that is jeremiah god said i've chosen you i've set you apart from your mother's womb you are to go into the nation and preach what i tell you to preach i'm putting my words in your mouth Sam. And Jeremiah says, okay, Lord, I, I'm a youth and I, I'm scared, but okay, Lord, I'll go. And he said that God's word was like fire in his bones. At times he didn't want to say it, but it, he just had to because he knew it was the truth. And he would preach it and they'd throw him in a pit and he'd preach it and they'd beat him up and he'd preach it and they'd threaten him with death. And we're modern day, we should be Jeremiah's. Jeremiah is a picture of the end times. When Bab Babylonia came in there and they ransacked the Jewish, Jewish city of Jerusalem and they took them captive and that was God's judgment. And that's what Jeremiah was preaching. Did he preach judgment because he hated the people? He's known as the weeping prophet. He wept over Jerusalem just as Jesus wept over Jerusalem and just as we should weep over those who don't know Christ. And we're to proclaim the same message. Judgment is coming. Turn to Christ. Turn to the Prince of Peace and live. Jeremiah 6.14, this is what Jeremiah says, and they have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying peace, peace, but there is no peace. It's a false peace. It's the, the same false peace that we see today. Well, this president or this governor or this 
politician or this person or eventually the Antichrist, though they won't call him that, he'll give us the peace that we need. It's a superficial peace. Jer- Jeremiah 9.5 says, Friend deceives friend and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with, with sinning. That's our culture. Nobody speaks truth. They don't, they don't, they can say I I like or I love Jesus or I'm a Christian, but the moment you give them the full counsel of God's word and the truth, uh, I don't like that. The the gospel and God's word is offensive. We don't want to be offensive. I don't like to be offensive, but I'm not, I don't want to back down from God's word and God's word is offensive. So in a math equation, that means therefore we're offensive at times, right? Done with grace, done with gentleness, kindness, and love. But if people are getting offended at times, that's okay. That's part of being a Christian. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. That's my introduction. Just getting started. We're not quite getting started. Maybe halfway through. We'll see. Luke chapter 2, I want to focus back on this text. We're talking about the in incarnation of Christ the prince of peace and it says in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2 in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night one commentator states the symbolism and theological implications here in this text are numerous and he's not kidding If you read through Luke chapter 2 and what Luke is doing, he does what even the other gospel writers don't do. The incarnation of Christ is only mentioned in Matthew and in Luke. Mark jumps right into baptism and John hits it off, but John goes actually further back than Matthew and Luke. He goes, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. We'll go before the manger story. Luke only mentions, he's the only gospel writer to mention the manger. Luke's doing a lot of things to highlight the humility of Christ. Read through the book of Luke. Humility is on every page of the gospel letter. So here's baby Jesus. He's born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Who was David? David was a shepherd boy. Jesus in Revelation 22, 16 says, that he is the root and the offspring of David. Here you have these shepherds. It says that they're outside keeping watch over the flock by night. David the shepherd in Psalm 63, 6 says, I meditate on you in the night watches. He was there at night crying out to God, keeping watch. Perhaps he kept the same disciplines as a king that he did when he was a shepherd boy writing some of the Psalms, meditating on God as he's watching the sheep. So here's these shepherds. They're watching over their flocks and not too far away, perhaps a mile or two, there's Jesus born in the manger. Baby Jesus, shepherd like David, king of Israel like David, born in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Jesus is 
the bread of life, who feeds the nations, who brings peace to the world. King David brought peace to Israel in the midst of all the surrounding nations that wanted to destroy her. And here's lowly Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 prophesies that though you, Bethlehem, are too little among the clans of Judah, it would be from there that a ruler would come forth to shepherd his flock. Bethlehem was just a little city, maybe a couple thousand people compared to the other cities in Judea with hundreds of thousands of people. God says, no, that's the city that I choose for my Messiah to be born. City of Bethlehem. Can you imagine the president of the United States sleeping in a manger? Okay, get that thought out of your mind. Maybe you can, but get that out of your mind. Most hotels, I think, would make room for a president. I think the president could go anywhere in the country and say, I need a room. And even if they're full, they might make room for him. Now, because of his policies and all of that, maybe there's a lot of hotels these days that would say no. But imagine Mary and Joseph checking into this inn here in Bethlehem. And they say, okay, who's checking in today? They say, well, me, Mary, and here's my husband, husband Joseph, and well, who's that? Well, that's Emmanuel. That's God with us. Can we, can we check in here? No. There's no room for God in the hotel. We can make room for politicians and CEOs and wealthy people, but God, no, he's going to be born in a manger, in a feeding trough, next to the animals in this stinking place not like a hallmark card but much different than that that's where the son of god will be born so it's only fitting that these often overlooked shepherds in an often overlooked region of an overlooked city would overlook which overlooked the mighty god would bring would have the good news brought to them by the angels The angels bring the good news to them, not to the social elites and governors and those in the upper class, but to shepherds. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, Though the Lord is on high, he attends to the lowly. Let's read verses 9 through 11 again in Luke 2. It says, An angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people for today in the city of David. There has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Listen to what one commentator states of this passage. He says, The angels were heralds of the newborn Savior, but they were only sent to some poor, humble, pious, industrious shepherds who were in the business of their calling, keeping watch over their flock. We are not out of the way of divine visits when we are employed in an honest calling and abide with God in it. Let God have the honor in this work. Glory to God in the highest. Just do a survey of scripture and notice who angels often appear to with a glorious message. It's usually the humble. It's usually the meek. It's usually those who are doing God's work, who are busy serving him. That's when the angel appears. Think of Moses, 40 years in Pharaoh's temple, Pharaoh's court, 
40 years in the wilderness, crying out to God, knowing that he would perhaps one day serve him, and then the angel of the Lord appears to him in the burning bush. You read the beginning of Luke, there's Zechariah, priest, doing the Lord's work. His wife's barren, says they're righteous. An angel appears to him, Gabriel. Mary, she says, I'm a humble bond slave. God appears to her. Holy Spirit overshadows her. Jesus comes into the world. And so on and so forth. So here's these shepherds just busy doing their work, often overlooked. Yet there's the angels bringing them this message. I mean, who did Jesus choose to be his disciples? CEOs, intellectuals, governors. He chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose zealots. The bottom of the barrel became the cream of the crop. That's how God works. He lifts up the humble. He gives grace to the humble. He rejects the proud. He brings the proud down low. So whatever you're doing behind the scenes and you feel like, oh, this isn't a big deal, if you're doing it unto the Lord, it's a big deal in his eyes. Stay true to him. Stay faithful. He will bless it. Remember when David was shepherding the sheep in the Old Testament and the lion and the bear came? What did David do? Did he say, I don't want to put my life on the line. I don't want to risk anything here. I'm too busy writing psalms that billions of people are going to read someday. I've got other sheep. I'm going to let those sheep go. David says in 1 Samuel 17, 35, I went out after him. I attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. He's not talking about a human being. He's talking about the lion. He's talking about the bear. He's talking about when he stayed up late at night watching over their sheep, he was protecting them. If a lion, a bear, if a pack of wolves came in, they better be ready for what David was bringing their way. He was, pra- he was practicing for a future battle that he was about to undertake with a man named Goliath. See, he who's faithful in little is faithful in much. God can be preparing you for something right now that would blow you out of the water in terms of what you think he could do through your life. The question is, are you being faithful where you're at? These shepherds were being faithful. Many commentators believe that they were looking for the consolation of Israel. They were looking for the Messiah. There was an anticipation there. They were keeping watch over their sheep. And being a shepherd was a tough job. Back to the Hallmark card, they weren't just sitting there with the sheep, laughing it up and smiling. Perhaps they were doing that, but there was more to it than that. It was an intense job. They had to be ready at all times for the lion, the bear, and the wolf. One article I read this morning said that a pack of family dogs could wipe out a sheep flock in a half an hour. I don't know if that's true. I believe it is based on other things that I've read that they needed to be very active in protecting the sheep. This was their livelihood. This is where their finances came from. So if a sheep gets taken away, as Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. He protects the sheep. That's what these shepherds were doing here. 
So the angel stands before them. The glory of the Lord has shone around them, and I imagine they're getting ready to protect the sheep. What's going on here? They're getting out their sword. They're getting out their staff. And then they realize that they don't stand a chance. This is an angel of the Lord. And the text says here in verse 9, they were terribly frightened. Magos, phobos, phobeo. I'm working on the Greek. It's a cool language. Major fear to the max. That's the modern translation. He essentially uses the same root word phobos or phobeo, phobia, where we get the word phobia today. If you're scared or something, if you're fearful of something, and Luke uses the word twice there and says magus in front of it. They're trembling. They're fearful. And the angel responds, mephobeo in verse 10, don't fear. Don't fear. I have a message. I have a gospel message for you. I have good news of great joy. Literally in one translation, I evangelize to you a great joy. These angels were evangelists. They were sent by God with a message. It's the same word, euangelion, or euangelizo, Jesus used of himself in Luke 4.18. He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Luke 4.43, Jesus says, I must preach the kingdom of God, euangelizo. I must share the good news. In one sense, that's the calling of every Christian. With your life, with your actions, with your thought life, with what you say to others, you are to be messengers proclaiming the good news to others. What stood out to me in this text this morning as I was looking over it again is that when these shepherds get this good news, they get this message. It says in verse 16, And they came in haste and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Remember I was just talking about how important the sheep are to a shepherd, that they guard them with their life. This is their livelihood. This is where their finances come from. What do the shepherds do when they get this good news? As far as I can tell, they left the sheep. It says they went in haste. I don't know if they were able to find someone else to watch the sheep, but I believe that the news was so great, just like the disciples left their nets, just like Matthew left the tax booth, just like when Jesus said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, and they left the past behind, these shepherds are saying, this is everything to us. We need to go see baby Jesus. That's more important. That's what Paul said. This is of first importance. That's good news. I once, I once preached a message titled, Is It Really Good News? Today, if I were to tell you right now, you've won a million dollars, and I walked over to you and I said, here's a million dollars. Would you just be like, oh, thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Have a good day, brother. You watch these shows of people, forget what it's called, they would knock on their door, tell, I forget the show, and they'd hand them the check, and people screaming and crying and so happy. That's really good news for people. Money, fame, power, success. Tell people about Jesus, and it's, I don't know, have a good day. Is it really good news? Was it really good news to the disciples, who Jesus was? 
Is it really good news to these shepherds? Is it really good news to you and I? I have a bottle of water here. I don't usually use props. You have those certain preachers, they ride up in a Harley and they got all the props and smoke and lights and someday we'll do that. We get a lot of money. But here's my prop. And in the message that I once taught, I mentioned if I gave you a bottle of water right now, if I just said you all get a bottle of water, would you say that's really good news? You'd probably say thanks. Okay, I'm a little parched. You know, I had water a little bit ago. Or No, thank you. I have my own water right here. Probably wouldn't be jumping out of your chairs. But what if you went hiking? What if you were stranded in a desert? What if you had no water? What if you were going days without water and I was able to locate you somehow and in my back pocket I had this same bottle of water and you're on the verge of death because of dehydration and I say, here you go, I have a bottle of water. Did the value change? What would you give then for that bottle of water? If I said, give me all your worth and I'll give you this, would you say, no, I'm not giving it? Most people would say, okay, I'll give you anything. I need a drink of that water to survive. The value and the worth of the same bottle of water shot through the roof. Now, I I realize my analogies aren't always the best. Leah reminds me of that sometimes, graciously. I'm always working on them. I admit they're not that great. But this one, bear with me. People treat Jesus as if we would treat this bottle of water here and now. They don't realize the urgency. They don't realize the worth. They don't realize that they're in the middle of the desert, they're dehydrated, and they're about to die. Then once you present that bottle of water, it's the greatest news in the world. And the comforts that we have in America, and as we sit in a heated room with lights on, which we almost didn't get in here today. I had to call the mayor, actually, because we couldn't find the keys to the building. That's a side note. But we are here. I was like, Lord, I can open up my living room. It's going to be packed, or, or we can meet outside. We'll find a way. But the mayor, okay, I don't want to, he's the mayor for like another week. So I felt really bad calling him because he lost the, ma- the election here in Eagle. So I was like, oh, Lord, I don't want to call him right now to bother him with this. But it all worked out. Side note. We need to convince people, we need to be convinced that we are in such a need of Jesus that he is everything. He is of supreme value. He's of supreme worth. And we need to say, I'm willing to give anything for Jesus Christ. So, in this culture, there is such a pursuit for followers, for likes, for validation, for popularity. Man, look at how many followers I have on Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, you name it. They're they're just adding to them every day. Man, look at me. Did you know that from 2008 to 2021, 379 people died taking selfies? Pretty crazy stat. They're getting as close as they can to the cliff to take a selfie. They're they're standing on the top of a building, leaning over, look at me, and then that's it. And I was reading some of these stories, and 
you know, is actually breaking my heart. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to take a selfie or go to a cool place in the world and take a selfie and show your friends, but there's such a need for validation, for, for acceptance, for look at me and look at where I've been and I want people to see this and it's all about me in the culture we live in. One article states that more people were killed taking selfies last year than by shark attacks. Pretty crazy. The message that the culture is preaching to people is look within. What makes you feel good? What brings you validation? What, how can you be accepted? How can you put yourself up on a, pa- on a pedestal? Make yourself known. Where the angels preached to these shepherds and the gospel is preached and it says this, look to Christ. Look to the manger. Look to the incarnation. Look to the cross. Look to the empty tomb and look to where Jesus is seated right now. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Set your eyes above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep seeking him. We need to look outside of ourselves. That's where true joy and true peace is found. So in the confusion and the craziness of the day's that we live when someone throws their hands up like Charlie Brown and says what's Christmas all about when someone comes up to you and says what's the meaning of life what is this all about and when someone says look at the news over here in Israel and look at over here in this war over there and look at what's happening with AI and look at what's happening over here and after you get bombarded with all the negativity And with all of the junk that's going on and the chaos in this world, give them the good news. Give them the tender voice like Linus and say, I'm going to tell you what it's all about. I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He's the one that was born in the manger, lowly and humble because there was no room for him in the inn born in an overlooked city by an overlooked family from an overlooked lineage from a shepherd boy. And this is my closing here. But these angels proclaimed this message to those who were overlooked. They were watching over the sheep. It was the greatest news they ever heard. They made haste, it says. They ran as fast as they could, I'm sure, to see baby Jesus in that manger because it was told to them, there is a Savior born for you. There's a Savior born for you, is what the angels said. People need to know that God loves them, that God loves you, that God died for you, that he loves you, and that peace is offered to you. People need to know that Jesus didn't stay in the manger. His life didn't start in the manger. His name is Emmanuel. It means God with us. His goings forth are from long ago, the scripture tells us. From eternity. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. He's the one who said, I and the Father are one. He's the one who said, tear down this temple 
and I will raise it up on the third day. Try raising yourself up after you die. Jesus did. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose on the third day. He conquered sin and death. He conquered Satan, and he proclaims victory to the captives. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He upholds all things by the power of his word. He said, I'm the first, I'm the last. The living one, I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and to Hades. He preached the gospel to the poor. He proclaimed the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He set free those who are downtrodden and proclaimed the favorable year of the Lord. He's the one who said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Though he's on high, he attends to the lowly. The once overlooked baby boy in the manger is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and he's the one who says to all those who are overlooked, overburdened, overworked, overdone, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's our king. He's humble. He's gentle. He's the prince of peace. May his peace rule in your heart today. That's what Christmas is all about.